0: Thank you, Richard, and thank you, Broderick, and thank you to you all for this invitation to spend this evening with you. I hope in the next few minutes I might share what has been my personal journey as we reflect on both Pride Month and also on revival during this Pentecost Sunday. I arrive here at this podium after what has been a journey of navigating being a black man, a gay man, and a Christian. This collision, very awkwardly, came to a head about 10 years ago in a car wash. There, sitting with my parents and my sister, I sat in the back seat and listened to the squeal of the windshield wipers and the poof of the rainbow soap suds, and I whispered to them, I'm gay. Of course, my 21-year-old self didn't have the prefrontal cortex to predict that if things went poorly in this moment, I would not be able to escape. I remember my sister looking at me bewildered, thinking to herself, did you really just choose now as the right moment to come out of the closet? She thankfully broke the silence with, well, that's awesome. And my parents didn't quite know what to say at the time, so we didn't give it any more attention. We buried it. As a child of the 1990s, I don't think I really understood what the word gay meant but I knew enough to know that it wasn't considered a good thing. This message became clearest to me in all places in a church. One day while sitting in the red carpeted pews of a Baptist church with other young children, I turned the pages of a coloring book to a Disney princess and I began to get to work. As a talented young artist, I began coloring within the lines with pink and purple crayons until one of my friends looked up at me, abruptly turned the page and firmly whispered, Don't do that. That's why people think you're gay. From that day forward, I walked around paranoid that others were in on a secret that I didn't know. And that this secret suggested that I was the kind of person that no one wanted to be. So in order to belong, in order to survive, I began a persistent quest to please others, to prove myself and to let the world know that I too was worthy of love. I became hyper-involved in the Baptist church in which I grew up, and as an usher, a choir member, Bible study leader, an eventual choir director, I learned how to show outwardly the ways in which the Holy Spirit lived within me. As is common in many charismatic traditions, I experienced God through dancing, lively movement, song, and even in the speaking of tongues. I memorized scriptures and hymns to a God who would apparently bless us if we only prayed and talked and sang in all of the right ways. As a child, it was common for the Holy Spirit to make us break out in song and to experience the Holy Spirit in this lively way. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do his good will, He delights in us still and in all who trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Hymns like this gave me so much comfort, as it did for probably many of my ancestors in the African-American tradition. This song promised me a way to be happy. And so I began forging a theology that focused on obedience, on finding ways to bury the authentic parts of myself and develop ways of living for what others wanted. Into the coffin of my own soul, I concealed any feminine mannerisms. I was sure never to mention that I loved watching Lizzie McGuire, Boy Meets World, Dawson's Creek. And I hid the fact that I didn't understand why people got so excited about the Broncos on Sunday. I stuffed away all the moments that I admired another man's body. Like a child expecting to be on Santa's nice list, I behaved so well so that God would reward me for doing his goodwill and trusting and obeying that if I just kept doing the right thing, achieving and performing, then one day I would earn his approval. One day I would belong. This all worked really well for me throughout high school until I got into college. And it was there when it seemed like God stopped answering all of my prayers. After a couple of years of suffering lonely and wondering why I felt so different, I began becoming frustrated at my failed attempts to pray the gay away. I began to worry that I couldn't escape this part of myself that I so badly thought that I had banished, stuffed away, buried in the grave of my own soul. And if this transactional God wasn't going to give me my end of the bargain anymore, I quite frankly didn't know who God was. Disoriented and frustrated, I showed up to spiritual direction with a Jesuit Catholic priest. And I admitted to him that I was, quote, wrestling with thoughts of homosexuality, as we used to say in the good old evangelical days. But don't worry about it, I assured him. I'm praying through it. He said back to me, it's as if you think you are God or Jacob wrestling with God. And I jokingly said back to him, did you just infer that God might be homosexual? He chuckled and said, it's possible. And then he said, Bradley. And with a puzzled look on his face, he said, what exactly would be wrong with you if you were gay? Why wouldn't God love you anymore? I retorted with confusion that I didn't think Catholic priests were allowed to say something like that out loud. But this man suggested to me that God was a little bit bigger than I had made her out to be, that it was possible that God could still love me even if I enjoyed coloring Disney princesses, enjoyed watching shows about teen gossip and melodrama, and enjoyed paying attention to the Super Bowl, but only for the outfits, the costumes, and the dancing. What followed in this conversation was a mix of great freedom and great pain. During one tearful morning of praying the gay away in a chapel, I stared at the cross that still depicted Jesus hanging upon it. Catholic crosses often include Jesus on them still, whereas the Protestant crosses that I grew up with had always laid them bare. But as a young man in this moment on the precipice of throwing away my faith, which no longer made sense to me, I couldn't help but stare at this Jesus on the cross. I mean, how screwed up was it that someone who didn't belong in that society, who threatened the status quo, was taken, killed, and buried? What kind of good news story was this supposed to be? What kind of world is this that in order to survive, one must be crucified and buried? asking questions about the thoughts and feelings inside of myself, the things that I had buried throughout my childhood in order to live in this world. Unearthing those questions and never running away from them again became the first step in a very long path towards liberation. In facing what had scared me the most, I began to feel free. This encounter with the Holy Spirit didn't involve what the scriptures today told us it did for the other disciples. I didn't experience this descending dove from the heavens that made me burst into loud shouts of praise or rhythmic dancing. Instead, the Holy Spirit in this moment felt a lot more like a whisper, like a voice inside me saying that love cannot be buried. Maybe love is still love in the midst of horrific tragedy. Maybe God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit Maybe they're waiting for me at the place where I crucified and buried my secrets. I find nothing glorious about suffering, but I also find nothing glorious about groups of people who banish others who scare them, who banish those who don't belong. Moreover, I wonder how differently our world would look if we both individually and collectively decided to look inward to face the things that terrify us, to invite them before the scrutiny of a Holy Spirit that might care a lot more about trust than obedience. For obedience is a man-made tool for controlling what scares us, and trust, to me, is a holy invitation into unconditional acceptance. I wonder what would happen if we stopped burying tragedy in our Instagram stories and other numbing devices. And I wonder if we actually took the time as a culture to reckon with the questions hiding inside of us. Questions like how do we reckon with the distrust and the pain and the lack of safety both here on this land and in lands abroad? How can we commit to keeping one another safe? How can we stop making individuals feel that they don't belong? What would it take for us to give each other space, to hear the whispers dancing like ghosts beneath our souls. My favorite whisper, or what I imagined was a whisper, is a story told in the Gospel of John. You'll remember that in this story, Mary Magdalene goes to Jesus's tomb, sees its stone cover a jar, and tells the disciples that Jesus is gone. She proceeds into the garden where she weeps and is greeted by a man that she mistakes as a gardener. When the supposed ordinary man who was there whispers her name, she recognizes him as Jesus, or shall I say the face of God. And I can only wonder what emotions pulse through her body, what feelings she felt in her spirit, the freedom she felt that day in seeing his face. I'm compelled by this notion that the story of resurrection begins with a woman running toward a tomb, toward a buried thing, And after making, and after mistaking an ordinary passerby, the whisper of her name is what made her realize that the story of God doesn't end with the things we bury. For so much of my life, I mistook being gay as death. And there was something very powerful about hearing another person say my name, Bradley, and ask me a question that I had been avoiding all of my life, questions about what it meant to be me, my full self, not hiding any secrets anymore. This powerful conversation became an invitation for me to experience a richer and freer love with my parents, with dear friends and family, and to be received very vulnerably into community. This tenderness, this vulnerability is also equally terrifying, but I believe that that is what liberation in God truly means. I'm very grateful for my upbringing in the Baptist church and the lively charismatic worship that comforted me for so many years. But growing up, I also never realized that the Holy Spirit whispers too. And that it is in the moments in my life where I stop to be silent, to look toward the buried things in my soul, that I hear a still small voice simply whispering my name, saying that I'm free to be who I am that I'm free to bring whatever is there, that I'm free to live in liberation. And so rather than living a life about earning trust through obedience, I have been freed to trust that all of the things I bring, whether I'm proud of them or not, are worthy before the eyes of a God who through little whispers, speaks into the caverns of our souls, calls us by name and reminds us that the story doesn't end at the buried places. Each of us tonight brings a very different story into this sanctuary, but I leave you with these questions for our common prayer. What are the secrets that are yet to unfold within you? And for whom can you give permission to bring their full selves into an unconditionally loving space? Whatever rests within you, I pray that God meet you there I pray that in whatever way you encounter spirit in this life, whether it is through song and through dancing or in a cathedral or on a mountain trail or in a friend or in the silence of your own room, may you allow yourself to show up with all that lies within you. For it is no secret, my friends, that you are loved, that the Holy Spirit so desperately wants you to pay attention for she is whispering your name tonight with great pride. who you are.